Psalms chapter 9 and verse 15 reads, The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. It's amazing how God can turn things on the enemy. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higeon or Higeon. This is a word you don't often see in the scripture, but it's a musical term and it means solemn sound. Then it's followed with the word that you may be more familiar with, Selah, which is a pause to reflect. You put these two words together and it means a pause of of unusual duration and solemnity. In other words, there was this call for a unified pause to reflect on the gravity and the weight of these words that were being spoken. Verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. We have been reminded over the last several months that we are but men as nations live in fear. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a God who will arise and show his mighty hand of power. And I feel his presence in this house today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I want to speak tonight or today on this subject, a spiritual revolution, a spiritual revolution. Would you lift your hands and your voice right now? And would you call upon the name of Jesus? Lord, we are in this place today, not for our own purposes, but Lord, we are here to exalt you. We desire your presence and the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Fill this house, oh God. Every seat, every mouth, every mind, every hand, let it be exalted unto you. And let there be a change in the atmosphere that the hand of God would direct us and lead us and guide us. We are hungry for you, O oh God, and we seek your face continually. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Revolution comes from the Latin word revolutio, meaning a turnaround, a turn around, a change. A revolution is a fundamental and relatively sudden change in power. Typically, it is due to either real or perceived oppression. When we think of the word revolution, there are several things that come to mind. One, I'm sure, is the American Revolution. The American Revolution was a time, of course, when our forefathers rose up against the King of England and demanded their freedom. That freedom was won, but it was won with a price 
a price of blood and war. Though we may think of that event as some sort of a nostalgic, romantic glow of patriotism, it is nonetheless a bloody revolution, a revolt, a declaration of enough is enough. But the American Revolution was just one of many revolutions, the French Revolution in 1789, the Haitian Revolution in 1791, the Chinese Revolution in 1911, the Russian Revolution in 1917, and there have been many other revolutions that we don't look very fondly upon. The revolution in Cuba that brought Fidel Castro into power in 1953, the Iranian student revolution in 1979 that captured 52 Americans in the embassy there and kept them as hostages for 444 days. But there are many revolutions that did not marshal armies. There is the industrial revolution of the late 18th century. There is the digital revolution and there is the social revolution just to name a few. Even Jesus brought about a revolution. You read his words in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11 and 12. It says, Verily I say unto you, among them that were born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. We don't think of the word violence in sort of a, a warm and fuzzy way, but it is a word that is oftentimes associated with revolutions. This was interesting to me because the word violence is usually in the context of a negative action. In fact, it is defined as, number one, behavior involving physical force intended to hurt, damage, or kill someone or something. But the second definition gives us pause. The second definition of the word violence is strength of emotion or an unpleasant or destructive natural force. Some synonyms would include outrage, severity, and fury. These classic definitions would lead us to view violence as something that is harmful, and certainly it is. Something that is destructive, yes. Something that is an overreaction, yes. The question that remains is why? Why would the scripture couch it in terms of a positive action. Some of the greatest stories of the Old Testament involved violence. David killing Goliath. Samson killing a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. The Red Sea closes on thousands of Egyptian soldiers and drowns them, their bodies washing up on shore. Someone that does not understand biblical principles could take those scriptures, those scriptures single them out and say, well, Christianity embraces violence. Yet we know that the life and ministry of Jesus stood for the exact opposite. 
Is the Bible also saying that violence is sometimes a solution? I believe this is a question that is worthy of our consideration this morning. First of all, we need to establish some things. First of all, we need to know this. Our enemy is not carnal. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is principalities. You are not going to destroy your spiritual enemy with an M16 or a WinMag 300. You can't shoot the devil. <laughs> Even though you may want to. You can't muscle an unclean spirit. So how do you engage in this kind of battle? This kind of violence that is needed in a spiritual battle? Well, what we know is we have weapons for this warfare. And it is not necessarily the weapons that we need for a military battle. And violence is not just physical force. It is force of will. It is strength of emotion. It is outrage. It is vehemence. It is fury. And God is calling for an army of apostolics to arise and say, enough is enough. I recognize today that many of my words will be taken out of context and I'm prepared to accept that fact. But if I can reach one or two people that say, I'm not going to just sit on the sideline and lose my kids to drugs. I'm not going to just sit on the sidelines and lose my marriage and lose my faith and give up and go with the flow. I'm asking for some apostolics to arise and say, we declare war. We declare war on sin. We declare war on passivity. We declare war on just going along and letting our culture sweep us into a river of complacency and tolerance and lull us to sleep. I feel God speaking to this church and say, I know you've been in a valley of dry bones, but it's time to arise as a mighty army and let the winds of God's power and in his anointing blow into this house and say, hey, God is still God. God is still in charge. God is still bigger than anything in this universe. Jesus. There is no doubt that sin is destructive and that sin is a killer. And I believe that one of the most dangerous attitudes of a Christian is not anger towards sin, but rather a view of sin as tolerable, manageable. But I rise today to say that sin has to be something more than just unfortunate. I believe our culture would like to rock us to sleep where sin does not bother us anymore. We can hear about people sinning. We can see people sinning. We can watch a movie where people are sinning and somehow it is just acceptable. Maybe it's not desirable, but it does not infuriate us. 
I'm calling on a spiritual revolution where people that have been baptized in his name and filled with his spirit, stand up, stand up, clear your throat and let your voice be heard. We are the people of God. We were called for such a time of this. We are the apple of his eye. We are a chosen generation. Whatever happened to getting mad at the devil? We've turned the devil into some kind of caricature, some kind of fuzzy little devil with a pitchfork. That's a cartoon character. And the paralysis of God's people is the real devil. That's the demon that has infected all of us is the paralysis of God's people. We have developed spiritual laryngitis where we're not going to speak out against anything anymore. But I stand today in this pulpit to declare under the boldness of the Holy Ghost, enough is enough. There's a revolution that is coming. There is an army that is arising. One of the first clear appearances of this demon was when the roaring challenge from Goliath froze the entire army of Israel. The enemy is not afraid to let their voice be heard. But if we're not operating in the Holy Ghost, we'll be frozen with fear. A mass paralysis of fear and confusion kept the army of God's people from rising up. The haze that settled on their minds made them put off doing their duty. But there was a young shepherd boy that Bishop Myers talked about today that came down just to deliver he was in the ministry of serving. I'm going to tell you where your anointing will come. Your anointing comes when you're willing to serve. Mm. I fear what the American church has become. It's become a spectator sport. It's become a thing where we all going to sit in the pews of observation and be entertained by the preacher and be entertained by the music. Like one old preacher said, this ship of Zion is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. You better arm yourself with some weapons. You better put on the helmet of salvation. You better shod your feet with the preparation of peace. You better get the sword of the spirit. It's going to be a battle. David came down. He was just an errand boy. He was just delivering. But oh, the Bible said he shouted for the battle. I'm going to ask you a question today. I'm going to repeat it before we leave today. I want to know one thing. Are we going to just let the enemy shout? Or is there going to come a shout up out of the camp of God's people that say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I'll have church all by myself. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's time for the army of God's people to shout. Shout with the voice of triumph. Shout with the sound of victory. You ought to stand to your feet right now and you ought to shout. Shout. Shout unto God. Shout unto God. Woo! 
You may be seated. We're not there yet, but hopefully we'll get there in 15 minutes. Another example of this paralysis occurred during the American Revolutionary War. Despite the brutality and the tyranny of the British, only 30% of the colonists supported the war for freedom. It was only after Thomas Paine wrote a series of pamphlets between 1775 and 1776 advocating that the 13 colonies declare their independence from Great Britain, that support begin to grow. Writing in clear and persuasive prose, prose pain marshaled moral and political arguments to encourage common people in the colonies to fight for their freedom. I'm calling on you today to fight for your freedom. We may only have 30% of the church, but who we got, we better fight for our freedom. What kind of freedom are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about freedom from sin. I'm talking about freedom from fear. I'm talking about freedom of being able to worship our hands and lift up our voice and declare the name of Jesus. Spiritual warfare, first and foremost, requires that you have outrage. If you don't have outrage, everything I have to say to you today is going to fall on deaf ears. The first thing you got to do is have outrage. You got to have enough outrage to turn off the television. You got to have enough outrage to turn off the movie. You got to have enough outrage to unplug whatever it is that's pumping that garbage called music into your household. You got to have enough outrage to put down that novel that's putting un ungodly thoughts in your head. You got to have enough outrage to say, enough is enough. It's time to have a revolution. It's time to turn around. It's time to say enough is enough. We're going to see God like never before. We're going to ask for God to do a work like never before. Outrage. I know it's, it seems so bizarre to even hear a preacher talk about it. It's like a frog in a hot boiling pot of water we've just been lulled to sleep go along and get along all we like sheep have gone astray but God is sounding an alarm the end is near Woo! we had a message in tongues in there in the 830 service and the message came forth and said just hold my hand and walk with me for the end is near Oh, my friend, this is not the time to give up. Don't run out of gas on the last lap. This is a time to put the pedal to the metal and declare with holy boldness, if God be for us, who can be against us? We've got an undefeated general on our side, and his name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. So we have to start with attitude. You got to get the right attitude. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse three. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. At, at the very beginning, as Paul is starting to lay out what this spiritual warfare looks like, he said, we're walking in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. Your enemy is not people. Your enemy is not opinions. Your enemy is the prince of palities. The prince of the air. The enemy of your soul. The accuser of the brethren. But ladies and gentlemen, he's going to fall into the same pit that he's trying to coax you into. And God is going to arise and remind you and me and nations that there is no God but one. Come on, my friend. Nations are going to come and go. But people are people. But there is one. And his name is Jesus. And there is no other name under heaven whereby salvation is given. He's God. And God's bigger than COVID. And God's bigger than cancer. And God's bigger than America. And God is bigger than politics. And God is bigger than crisis and confusion. And God's bigger than drugs. And God's bigger than alcohol. And God's bigger than divorce. Come on, Pentecostals. Come on, apostolics. You gotta get. You gotta get mad. You gotta get some outrage. You gotta get some determination. I'm not gonna die. Not here. Not now. I'm gonna get back up on my feet. Jesus. Can I just say this to you? You got to get an attitude of victory. You better get out of this victim mentality. You better get an attitude of victory. You're just a mortal, I'm just a mortal. But we got a God, hallelujah. And if God be for us, who can be against us? He's greater. I said, He's greater. Give me five more minutes. So at the very beginning, Paul is saying this is not a physical battle. Then he goes on in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare. Notice that this requires weapons and warfare. The weapons of our warfare. He's saying this isn't candy land. This ain't fantasy land. It's war. You've heard it said that war is hell. Well, let me tell you, the opposite is also true. The lack of war is hell. If you're not willing to declare war on the devil... You're going to live in hell. I know you don't want to hear about hell no more, but that's just the reality. You either believe this book or you don't believe this book. And unless you're willing to say, God, I need you to help me. I'm going to put on some weapons of warfare. Come on, I'm going to get the sword of the spirit. I'm going to get my hand around something. I'm not going to just die because I didn't fight the good fight of faith. Fight, swing, go to battle, prepare for war. If you're not willing to fight for your soul, you will not escape hell. 
The preacher can't save you. The church can't save you. The youth leader can't save you. The Sunday school teacher can't save you. Your mom and dad can't save you. Your spouse can't save you. You gotta save you. You gotta say, God, as long as I'm on your side, as long as I'm pursuing you, I'm not gonna give up. I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna turn back now. You gotta get the right attitude for the weapons of our warfare, not carnal. Here we go now to the next thing, but mighty through God. See, mighty through God. It's not mighty just through you. It's mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Sometimes you got to work, you got to yank, you got to pull it down. Pulling down, that's an action. Not only do you have to have the right attitude, you got to have the right action. Stuff that comes up in your head, you got to pull it down. The enemy sometimes wants to give you a big screen in your imagination. Something is not right. Don't sit there in front of it and eat popcorn and let it dwell and marinate in your brain. Pull it down. The enemy tries to tempt you. You just start singing the songs of Zion. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. This is the day that the Lord has. When I think of his goodness and all he's done for me. What you doing, preacher? I'm pulling down strongholds. Look at verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Casting down every high thing. That's revolution. Casting down every high thing, bringing into captivity. Have you ever tried to bring something into captivity that doesn't want to go into captivity? Like a cat. We got a cat in our house by the name of Daisy. We've had her for a while. She don't want nothing to do with the outdoors. She wants to stay inside. Well, she's got these claws. And these claws like to scratch on the furniture. I say, we're going to have to either turn Daisy into an outdoor cat. Or we're going to have to either keep her in one of the kids' rooms, or we're going to have to declaw her. She ain't tearing up all this furniture. So we read about how painful it is for cats to be declawed, so we ruled that one out. She don't want nothing to do with the outdoors, so we ruled that one out. So she stays in Gregory's room. But if one of them leaves the door open, there she goes. And we have to run her down. Daisy, she knows we're coming to get her. She don't want to be put into captivity. We go to try to find her. She runs and hides and scoots under couches and stuff. We're like, come here, Daisy. It's hard to bring something into captivity that doesn't want to be in captivity. The point is, that's not a passive activity. Bringing into captivity, that takes a little bit of force. 
Here's the third thing. Not only you got to have the right attitude and the right action, you got to have the right aggression. Look at verse 6. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. Now you thought the Bible was against revenge, didn't you? We always quote in Scripture, revenge is mine, saith the Lord. Turn the other cheek. I'm glad I found this verse. You read the Bible long enough, you'll find one you like. <laughs> Having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. How do we get revenge on disobedience? When your obedience is fulfilled. Uh-oh. It was sounding good for a while. <laughs> Woo! We're going to take revenge on disobedience. How are you going to do that? By you obeying. You see, revenge, and the only revenge that the Bible endorses in the New Testament is revenge on yourself. Oh. We were with you now, Pastor. You done gone to meddling. You got to take revenge on your own flesh. Your flesh says, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I don't care. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And you got to say, wait a second. I'm going to take revenge on my own flesh. And instead of disobeying, I'm going to obey. You got to get aggressive toward your own flesh. You got to say, now look here, David Ellis Myers. You're not going to do that. I know you want to do it, but that's not what the Bible says to do. You have got to get aggressive in the battle. You don't wait till you're attacked. You take the battle to the enemy. You don't wait till you're falling off the cliff. You go ahead and bring your flesh under submission now. I want to say this, but I'm not going to say it. I want to do this, but I'm not going to do it. I want to take, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to obey the word of God. And if I obey the word of God, I take revenge on my own flesh. Man, I'm tired of hearing people just say, why did you do it? I don't know. I just felt it so strongly. I just felt like I had to do it. That's a bunch of baloney. Since when did your flesh become the monarch? Since when did it become the, the dictator of your decisions? God's given you a mind that you can put the word of God in. And even though your flesh says do this, your mind says, uh-uh. That's trouble. Come on, somebody. We got to get aggressive toward our own flesh. And say, I know you want to do that, but you're not going to do it. In fact, every time you want to do that, flesh, you got to, your flesh is like a spoiled kid. You got to say, every time you want to try to think that way, I'm going to put you under a, an hour of prayer. Your flesh will stop acting up. Just a minute ago when I talked about fasting, some of y'all said, Ooh. Not eating? I was made to eat. I'm the chiefest of sinners. But when you want to eat and you say, but I'm fasting because I want to move a God. You're telling your flesh, you got to come under obedience. Whoa, can you imagine what would happen if even 30% of the East Wind Pentecostal church said, we're going to declare war on our own flesh. I was getting quiet now, ain't it? 
All of y'all watching my internet, y'all shout at home so I can hear you. Because it's quiet up in here. You got to take the battle to the enemy. I'm going to prayer. I'm going to church. I'm going to worship. I'm going the extra mile. I'm going to make it. I got to get back up and dust myself off. I'm going to keep on fighting. I'm going to keep on swinging. 2 Samuel 3 and verse 33 says, And the king, referring to David, lamented or was mourning over Abner. Abner was the chief of all the generals, the chief soldier, a man of war, a man of wisdom, a man of tactical advantage, captain of the guard under King Saul. David lamented over Abner and said, died Abner as a fool dieth. Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. Is it possible they can make the church in America just stop being apostolic? They don't even have to put us in jail. Just put us in so much fear. We quit praying. We quit having church. We quit believing for the impossible. Nobody's got your hands bound. Nobody's got your mouth bound. Nobody's got your feet in fetters. Are you going to die as a fool dieth? Or if you're going to rise up and say, wait a second, I'm a child of God. God's called me for such a time as this. I'm calling on an apostolic revolution. I'm calling on a church to rise up and declare war on the enemy. Mm. Brings us to the fourth point, and I close. Awareness. You gotta be aware. You gotta be aware. Ephesians 5:15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Be aware of the fact that God is in charge, that He's the King of Kings, and that He's greater than anything in this world. I said He's greater than anything in this world. Ooh, you gotta have an awareness. Everything else is just man. There is one God. His name is Jesus. He's greater than anything in this world. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. And the enemy wants to try to defeat you and me by us laying every weapon aside and try to fight a battle without all of the equipment that God has given us. I say to you today, come on, let's put on the weapons of warfare. Come on, let's get ready for battle. Let's say, I'm not going to just sit here and die. I'm going to get up on my feet and declare, this is the day that the Lord hath made. You basically have this choice. You can be like the army of Israel that's paralyzed in fear as the Goliath comes out and stands on the banks of the valley of Elah and says, send me a man to fight. And everybody was afraid. But David came down and shouted for the battle and said, I'll fight the giant. And they said, David, 
What are you coming down spewing out words like that? You're going to fight for the battle. What are you talking about? You're going to be the man to fight. And David asked this rhetorical question, and I ask it you today. Is there not a cause? You don't want to fight for yourself. Fight for your family. Fight for your friends. Fight for your neighbors. Fight for your unsaved loved ones. Come on, apostolics. Come on, apostolics. You're a mighty army that God has put on this earth. Rise up and shout for the battle. Stand to your feet now all across this building. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Sir. Come on, I feel the anointing of God now. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Nations. Right now, even as we speak, nations are being reminded how vulnerable they are. She caught them. Hmm. Oh. Speak, oh Lord. Jesus. Ah. Some of you are going to come down to the front. Some of you are going to stay in your seat. Matters not to me, but here's what I want us to do in unison right now. I want everybody in this building to lift up your hands. And I want you to set your mouth like a trumpet. And if you will receive the word of God today, would you shout? Would you shout? Would you shout for the battle? With the voice of triumph. Jesus! Jesus! 
Shout for the battle! Shout for the battle! Use your voice! Use your voice! I declare your glory. I declare your greatness. In the name of Jesus. Just before we sing, we got to learn to shout before we sing. The singing is the victory after the battle's been won. They would sing on the other side, but they would shout before the battle. They would shout for the battle. You got to get a determination in your spirit and heart that I am not going to die. I'm going to victory. I don't know what you may be facing, but I feel victory in this house. And there is a faith and a boldness and an anointing. But for it to activate in your life, you got to raise your voice. I said, you got to raise your voice. In the pew, in the altar, wherever you are, raise your voice. And for 60 seconds, shout, 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 shout. 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 I declare victory! <laughs> Jesus is coming! Jesus is coming! is coming. If you can't shout for the battle, here's what I want you to do. You've probably seen it in the natural whenever there's an anticipation that the performer's getting ready to come out on the stage. The whole crowd starts to shout in anticipation. You ever seen that? crowd starts to move all through the word of God even as Jesus was getting ready to come into Jerusalem on that triumphant entry they got into the streets and they shouted in anticipation of his appearance if you believe that Jesus is coming soon I wonder if you would shout 
for his return. You don't want him to come back, just stay still. But if you're looking, if you're ready, shout for his return, shout for his appearance. Jesus! We're not there yet. I'm still trying. I'm going to try one more thing and then I'm going to leave it with you. I want you to take your own hand, put it on your head. I want you to pray for yourself right now in the name of Jesus, by the authority of the Word of God, by the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and by the power of the name of Jesus. I release my tongue to worship. I bring into captivity everything that would war against the Spirit. Release me, O God, and set me free by the blood of Jesus. Shout for his return. 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 Sh